Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're shining the spotlight on a topic that we're trying to put front and center in a series of productions that we're doing on this broadcast. It's looking at a field that is making a huge difference in Indian country and beyond. It is the field of public health. Some of you, if you're regular listeners, you heard Dr. Groff speaking to us in our previous uh, show. Now we're hearing from another school of public health in a different part of the country, from the East Coast now to the Midwest, and to Dr. Jean Cadet. Dr. Cadet, it's good to have you with us on today's edition of the broadcast. Glad to be here with you. It's great to have you on the show, Jean. You and I had the privilege of, uh, of visiting together in the context of some presentations I was making on your campus uh, not all that long ago. You carry a lot of responsibilities there at Andrews University. You're the chair of the School of Population Health, Nutrition, and Wellness. That's quite a mouthful, but Tell us first, for those who need some help geographically, just where Andrews University is. Yes, uh, thank you, Dr. DeRose. Andrews University is located in Michigan, but in southwest Michigan, close to Chicago. We're only two hours away uh, from Chicago. So that's where we are located, uh, on the south of the Great Lakes. So we've got the campus of Andrews University, and uh, some of the listeners who know my background, I had the privilege of uh, studying on that campus. I actually have a degree from Andrews University, and then I did my medical training out west and my public health training out uh, west as well. You also have multiple degrees. You're an MD. You have a master's in public health and also uh, theological training. So tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, people are just, I mean, I'm fascinated always when I see all these letters of varying professions after someone's name. So tell us a little bit about your background, John. Yes, uh, I can. I am not sure. Uh, maybe, I, maybe I was following you, not realizing it. But when I, when I looked at your title, I said, well, if he is my bigger brother, I could say, yes, I was following his footsteps. Yes, uh, I indeed, I had a medical degree uh, from Haiti, where I worked, and we can, we can talk more about that shortly. I also did my MPH at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. And then I have my master's in divinity at Andrews University. And right now I'm finishing my uh, PhD in public health uh, with an epidemiology concentration. Wow. Where are you doing your PhD work? Uh, my PhD uh, program is with Walden University. I finished all my coursework. I'm in my dissertation phase, so I should be finishing in less than a year, Lord willing. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, that is very impressive. I always uh, thought those epidemiologists and statisticians, they were the ones who are taking the heaviest science load in my among my public health <laughs> colleagues. So my hat is off to you, Dr. Cadet. Those of you that are tuning in on American Indian Alaska Native Living today, many of you are regular listeners. You know one of the 
topics that really resonates with folks throughout Indian country is just this whole dynamic of how people have been marginalized. Of course, this is the story of people throughout Indian country, but it's not just unique to Native Americans. Uh, Jean, you, uh, roots in Haiti, coming to the U.S., you too have experienced that stigma of being a person of color, being from a, a cultural background that is unfamiliar to many in the majority population. How did that impact you as far as who you are today and, and the training course that you took? Well, that had a huge impact in uh, in uh, who I am today. Uh, it comes with two statements that I'm going to share with you. One that says, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Uh-huh. That guided me growing up. The other one is that another uh, statement that says, uh, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So those two principles guided me to always do my best and always make things work, even if they apparently are difficult. Try to not give up and make it work, even, even among difficulties. One of the things I appreciate about Ed Andrews, and I know your uh, university has been making a special attempt to reach out to indigenous students. Uh, when I was presenting on your campus, I actually heard some of your colleagues presenting uh, some of their work that they're doing in Indian country and partnering with uh, some of your you know, local indigenous people to try to make educational opportunities uh, more accessible to Native American students. So I know you have this strong emphasis at Andrews. I've heard things about how diverse the campus is. Are there formal statistics about how you rank as far as diversity, like ethnic diversity, gender diversity, things like that, as far as other campuses in the U.S.? There are uh, formal statistics. Uh, I don't have the latest ones. I knew uh, a couple of years ago, two to three years, uh, we were ranked number two in the whole country when it comes to diversity but that was about three years ago. Probably we are in still within the first five uh, when it comes to diversity. And uh, me being at Andrews probably is uh, a proof for that because I came from Haiti where I was, uh, I mean, I grew up in a very modest community from a poor family and uh, we worked our way up through education uh, until we got to, I got to medical school, did all the other things that we can talk about if time permits, until I find myself here at Andrews over the years. So diversity is big at Andrews University. So I appreciate your story, and I appreciate the fact that we're laying this foundation, uh, trying to cultivate this vision in Indian country, maybe I shouldn't use the word cultivate, I probably should say nurture, because so many indigenous people that I know in public health, you and I were speaking off air before we began the show, one of the places I regularly visit is at the American Public Health Association meetings, and there's a whole caucus, it's called the American Indian Alaska Native, Native Hawaiian Caucus, and I'm frequently attending sessions of that caucus, and just to see the diversity of tribes and indigenous communities represented there at APHA is encouraging. So it's nothing that we're imposing. 
in uh, Indian country. It's something that Indian country has embraced. But I still find, John, a lot of folks don't realize the opportunities that are out there in public health. We want to get there in this show, talking to whether they're people who are in high school or uh, young people who are tuning into the show, just listening. Maybe they're driving, their parents are listening to the show, or maybe their their grandparents are listening, or maybe someone is a tribal elder, or they're thinking of a niece or a nephew or a grandchild. We want to talk about public health careers. But before we get there, I want to hear a little bit more about your story, because this is not the typical trajectory for someone in public health. Trained as a physician in a country that doesn't have a lot of the advantages that we have in the United States, so you get your medical training in Haiti. Did you actually practice medicine there in Haiti, or did you come to the U.S. shortly after that? I practiced medicine uh, in Haiti after my graduation from medicine as a general practitioner. And during those years of medical practice, that's where my career started to shift into public health. And uh, I wanted to combine both clinical work and public work. But providentially, I ended up doing more public health than clinical work. Uh, Yeah. Very nice. So you end up going to one of the premier public health schools in the country, uh, Emory University there. And, um, you know, folks in public health, they know Emory. I mean, and and, uh, you end up there. What kind of emphasis did you take at Emory? What was your special interest in public health? Yes, uh, I applied for Emory af- a few years after I came here and after I passed uh, my step one, step two for those who know the medical uh, language, the USML step one, step two, while I was waiting to get into residency here in the U.S., I decided to pursue my MPH so I don't waste time. And I applied to Emory and I got it. I got there. Uh, My concentration was behavioral sciences and health education. That was my major at Emory University. But being a physician, I was also interested in epidemiology and biostatistics. So as I was doing behavioral science and health education, every elective I could get, I got them into biostatistics or epidemiology. And they were very helpful along the the time. Yeah, this is a a great story. I mean, you folks who are listening today, if you have a public health background, you might relate. If you don't, I can tell you from my training in public health, most of my peers who were doing their master's in public health, they tried to avoid the epidemiology and biostatistics classes, very heavy in math. I actually did like them as well, and I think maybe it's kind of the same reason that you're describing, Dr. Cadet. It's, I just felt like I was getting these tools, you know, so that I could better analyze groups of people that I was working with. But, yes. you know, others, uh, they didn't have that motivation, which is fine. We all have different talents and different interests. But what you're, what you're listening to, you're listening to a story that's not typical. So if you're Listening to, you know, we want you to think in terms of a public health career. If you hate math, there's still hope for you. There were plenty of people who were my classmates, even health professionals, who didn't like those uh, mathematical sciences. Was that true in, in Emory's program as well? Yes, and that's so true even here at Andrews. We have a variety of, of a different type of students. There are students, they, have, they don't want to have anything to do with math, with statistics, and they are still successful in public health because 
public health has a wide variety of options. You don't have to know math and statistics to be successful in public health because we have health education. We have community health workers. We have uh, uh, behavioral sciences. All of those fields, they need people and math is not a requirement really. So that's fine. So basically you're taking this route, uh, behavioral health, health education, also getting a lot of the biostatistics, the epidemiology. You walk out of Emory with an MPH. Now for those who are trying to track with you as far as this uh, process for a foreign medical graduate, those of us in the United States, uh, like myself, so I trained in the U.S., so I got my medical degree, uh, passed my national board exams, and then went and did a residency. You mentioned something called USMLE Part 1 and Part 2. Am I understanding correctly if once you pass Part 1 and Part 2, then that qualifies you to do a residency and you need to do that before you can get licensed? Yes, indeed. That's the path for uh, foreign medical graduates, which is my situation. You have to you pass the same standard exam that a U.S. medical student pass. We call them uh, step one, step two of USMLE uh, tests. And after you pass them, in theory, you qualify to apply for residency. But practically, it's not that easy because many of my colleagues, even after passing those tests, they still cannot get into residency for multiple other reasons, and I was one of them. Yeah, I mean, the statistics are pretty staggering. I mean, if you look at uh, the bottleneck in medical education, from my understanding, it's it's in residencies. So people get trained in medical school, and then they try to get that further training, and there just aren't options there, right? Yes, yes, that's that's what it is. And, and we... And after we started those uh, steps, and that's where I, I ended up into public health at Emory, so I could have options to still be successful. When, when an area is blocked, I can continue with another area. We need to step away, Jean. We're talking with Jean Cadet. Dr. Cadet is a leader in public health. He's on the campus of Andrews University. He's talking with us about his own experience, some, I think, encouraging things for those of you in well, considering a public health career or just considering making a difference in your community. We've got a lot more practical insights coming up. We're going to be talking about his research and how that can impact you. It's all in today's edition of the broadcast. Don't go away. I'm Dr. DeRose. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA Service Center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. With me, Dr. Jean Cadet. He's got a long list of qualifications. He is the chair of the School of Population Health, Nutrition, and Wellness at Andrews University. He's a medical doctor. He has a master's in public health degree. He also has theological training, and he's working on a Ph.D. that he's uh, nearly finished. So, uh, Dr. Cadet, we appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I know some of the folks are listening to me. They're saying, why do you call him Cadet, and then you call him Cadet? I want folks to be able to spell your name, so most people who are... American or English speakers, they pronounce it cadet, C-A-D-E-T, right? Yes. But being from good French roots, tell us the correct pronunciation of your last name. Uh, the correct one is cadet, with the T being silent. Uh, that's how we uh, French-speaking people use the word cadet. Okay. So um, whether you uh, are French-speaking, listening to American Indian and Alaska Native Living today, and you think I'm butchering Dr. Cadet's name, or you hear me say cadet because I want you to make sure you spell it right because I know uh, you're making yourself available to dialogue with people if they have interest in public health careers, interest in Andrews University. Maybe we should get that mentioned early on here as we're starting this segment. Uh, Jean, how does someone reach you? Yes, uh, one way to reach me is by email. It's uh, my last name, cadet. J, C-A-D-E-T, and the letter J, at andrews.edu. The second way to reach me is by phone, uh, 269-471-3095. 269-471-3095. One of those two ways I, I will be glad to um, interact with anyone who has questions. 
So let me make sure that I've got this correct because we will send this information out to uh, the different networks that carry the radio broadcast. So I've got for an email Cadet J, C-A-D-E-T, then the letter J for Jean, correct? Yeah, correct. At Andrews, A-N-D-R-E-W-S dot E-D-U. Correct. And then for a phone number, I've got area code 269-471-3095. Correct. Okay, so we will send this out to the networks when the show goes out, and uh, hopefully you've been able to jot that down, or uh, you can listen to the podcast. So right at the beginning of the of the second segment, Dr. Cadet uh, gives out his information, and uh, you can listen. You can just tune in several places to get the show. If you Many of the podcast sites have it. Uh, if you want to go to a website, aianl.org, that's the official website, A-I-A-N-L for American Indian Alaska Native Living dot O-R-G. Some of you have been there. You can access our magazine as well as the radio show there. And then the other sister website where you can access the show as well as some of the programs that we've been featuring, like our weight loss program, our diabetes and high blood pressure programs, that's the other website you've been hearing often on the show lately, timelesshealinginsights.org. So either of those places, great way to connect with the show. We want to come back to you, Dr. Kaday. You're telling us about your journey. So not the typical journey. You go to uh, medical school as a foreign medical graduate. Come here. You've, you're fully qualified to jump into a residency. But um, as has been observed, not a real level playing field. A lot of folks excellently trained outside the U.S. They can't get into a residency. There simply aren't enough slots. So in that interim, you end up going to get your master's in public health degree at Emory did the doors open up for you to do a residency after that, or did you end up going in a public health direction? How did things play out from there? Yeah. Uh, one reason I joined public health while I was waiting for residency was also because my my side job in Haiti, besides clinical work, was to work with uh, an organization called ADRA, where they did a lot of public health-related work in rural Haiti. So that was my taste also in public health uh, and also preventive work that I have done in Haiti in those community to help them with, deal with uh, water issue, infectious disease like tuberculosis, malaria, a lot of other diseases that could be prevented with better community approach. So those things sparked my interest in public health in addition to clinical work. So when I joined Emory, it was easy. Actually, my background helped me a lot. They were happy to have me as a student, and we had a very great experience. They even sent me to Haiti in 2010 when we had the earthquake, uh, where I helped in Haiti as a public health student at that time from Emory. Wonderful. That's beautiful. So it's wonderful to see how the Creator can orchestrate our paths and uh, take us from our roots and put us back in places where we can give back in our own home area. Those of you listening from Indian country, as you're talking about or thinking about ways that you can give back to your community, public health is a powerful way to do it. I know, Jean, you and I, as public health professionals, we realize the public health uh, community, public health workers have gotten a lot of bad publicity over the last uh, several years. You know, as we, as a world dealt with the COVID-19 pandemic, Public health is on the front lines, and whenever you're dealing with an emerging illness, everyone knows you're going to make mistakes because it's evolving, okay? So it's not like 
it really bothers me today when people say, oh, well, I got, I knew this from the beginning. Nobody knew anything from the beginning. <laughs> we had some different ideas. Some people guessed right on some things, guessed right on others. And, uh, you know, we've heard the criticism, well, the public health professionals said this, and it really didn't make a difference. But I think the bottom line from a public health lens is the public health community did make a difference in a very positive way as, as far as how the world negotiated this serious uh, pandemic. From your position there on a university campus, help us. As There's a lot of lay people who listen to this show. Is public health kind of over and done? You know, is this basically we've seen that public health is no good? Or is it just my bias saying that public health really has made a difference even when it gets a bad rap? Yeah, we will always have uh, different views on, on those. I mean, when I say we, I'm talking about the population and different professionals. But public health does make a difference in improving population health, even in the past and currently. Actually, the evidence shows that life expectancy has been increasing for the past uh, 30 to 50 years, thanks to public health measures. Not that I don't like clinical work medicine. I was trained as a physician. I do love it. But the measures that have the longest impact in life expectancy are public health measures, but people don't realize that because we function usually behind the scene. We're not the one doing the surgery, doing the, the things that are in the forefront, meaning the patients can see. But when we take measures to improve people's health that extend their life, we're still relevant. And in, in the last, pan, the pandemic that has been ravaging the country, public health measures have been making a great impact. The statistics are there. We may not have time to go into them, but yeah, we do have a, a strong impact in what's going on right now. So let's now talk more specifically. I know we could talk a lot more about your story, but we definitely want to talk to especially Native American students, uh, potential students. And I think a lot of folks write public health off as a, a kind of mid-career change, but I've seen so many people across the demographic line saying, you know, I want to do something more meaningful. Maybe I want something with a more secure job future. Is public health one of those fields? Are there opportunities in public health today? Yes, actually, it's even more and more today. Public health is a growing field and its job security is big in public health. We have literally hundreds of career options in public health when someone finish, finishes uh, his or her master's degree or either, even undergrad degree in public health, uh, your bachelor's degree in public health. There are a lot of opportunities from health education, social science. Some people go into public policy where they work with government uh, agencies in healthcare management at the policy level. We have community health workers that are hired by hundreds of health departments around the country in urban areas, rural areas. And if you, do, if you like to travel, public health in the context of global health is always in shortages in different parts of the world where they, people make a difference in, in people's life when it comes to disease prevention and basic management, sanitation, hygiene, and so on and so forth. So public health is still very relevant. Environmental health also, 
which is a part of public health, big shortage there. We always have disasters that are coming our ways. We, we would not want them to come, but they do come. And public health officials are in the forefront of those issues, like the, the train derailment we had in Ohio. That was a public health uh, disaster that you had public health professionals helping into step to help people. Well, Dr. Cadet, we do have to step away again. You're listening to Dr. Jean Cadet. He's uh, affiliated with Andrews University and their School of Public Health. If you've just joined us, Andrews University is in Michigan, the southwestern corner of the state, not far from Chicago, as Dr. Cadet uh, described to us earlier in the broadcast. He is uh, heading up a department with a variety of facets that we're going to talk about when we come back, opportunities for you and things that relate to his special area as he's chairing the School of Population Health, Nutrition, and Wellness. All of those things can make a difference in your own personal life and in your community. That's all coming up next on this edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Dr. David DeRose, I will be staying by. Do the same. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. For the second half of today's edition of the broadcast, I'm Dr. David DeRose. My guest, Dr. Jean Cadet. Dr. Cadet is heading up uh, actually a division of Andrews University, if you want to be more precise, It is actually the School of Public Health, Nutrition, and Wellness. He's the chair of that school. And uh, Andrews University, this uh, diverse campus in southwestern Michigan that we've been speaking to Dr. Cadet about. Uh, We haven't really given a huge amount of detail about your public health program there at Andrews. It is uh, one of the newer schools of public health. Is that fair to say in the country? Compared to MRE, it's new, but it's it's been around for a while, or at least 10 to 15 years. So we are not best, uh, very, very new. Okay. So you've got a track record 10 to 15 years. I mean, 
I'm kind of dating myself, you know, so new to me is something that wasn't there when I was looking at public health opportunities. But um, anyway, so yes, the 10 to 15 years is a solid track record, and no way would I want to uh, depreciate that or diminish that. So tell us a little bit about what makes Andrews different. Why would someone from Indian country think about coming to uh, to southwestern Michigan and doing a program? Well, one attractive reason is the campus is very diverse. We have different uh, groups uh, from different parts of the world and different culture uh, on campus that by itself make every student feel that they belong. They have a sense of community, of support from each other. In addition to that, we have at the School of Population Health, we have an undergrad program, which is the Bachelor in in Public Health. The undergrad program is in um, environmental health and behavioral science. You get your associate degree, your bachelor's degree in behavioral science and environmental health, which will allow you to work in different uh, institutions throughout the country. And then we have master's level, a master's level in nutrition, uh, wellness and nutrition. We have a master's uh, level in physical science and undergrad also in physical science. And we just started another program, which is the master's of healthcare administration, because the field is very big. Healthcare administration is another subspecialty in public health that allows uh, graduates to work with non-governmental agencies, hospitals, and private offices in managing those uh, entities. Uh, it's covered under public health. And then we have our culinary medicine, where we, we train people on, on that aspect of nutrition, uh, because we know that, in general, you are what you eat. So it's important to eat well, to know what's best for the body, and we train people also in that aspect of public health. Now, I have not heard of this before. Culinary medicine, so you're actually teaching people to cook with especially a, a scientific basis to make good-tasting food that's also healthy. Am I reading too much into this? We're doing well on that. That's exactly what it is. It's a certificate level. It's a graduate certificate in culinary medicine uh, that has been started for about uh, two years. Well, that's exciting. Well, just for the record, my wife was with me. She's also a physician. Uh, Many of my listeners realize that. When I was invited to speak, give a series of lectures there at Andrews University about a month ago, and uh, we were commenting because you guys were gracious enough not only to uh, put us up and nice accommodations there, but also to feed us. We were saying, I mean, you guys have, I think, the best food of any institutional cafeteria we've been in. I mean, you really have... I mean, amazing variety, many, many healthy options. Has anyone actually looked and given you some kind of award for this, or is it just uh, my narrow perspective, and I haven't been at too many other good uh, university campuses when it comes to food? No, we heard about it, and uh, we humbly say, yeah, it's it's important to know what we're putting in the body, but uh, yes, we... The university pay attention to what's being served at the cafeteria uh, nutrition-wise. 
and we enjoy it and food can taste good even if it's vegetarian so yeah yeah so yeah as you mentioned you know plant-based menu and some of the my regular listeners have heard me tell this story but one of the things that really inspired me years ago we were doing some meetings on the Pine Ridge Reservation there in, in South Dakota. And uh, one of the tribal members there, uh, I think, had helped coordinate the meetings, but she was also a cook. Okay. Uh, and I'm not saying a cook by profession, but she had uh, basically gotten a hold of a lot of very healthy recipes and had adapted them so that people could get all the foods right there in their local community. You know, they could even use some commodity foods to make these healthy recipes. And I just thought that was remarkable. So this whole area of bringing science to whether it's indigenous communities or underserved communities or urban communities that represent more of a majority population, there's just a whole science there. And I'm really glad I didn't know Andrews was doing some of these innovative things. Yes, we are. We are big into that. And we keep adding to it every year. Uh, and we have a big um, dietetic program, and we have student graduate every year in it, and a lot of minority students also, because testimonies we got after grad- their graduations, they go to their communities and start implementing things, coming up with program to make a difference in their immediate community. Tremendous. So if you folks uh, are tuning in today, you're listening maybe on a reservation, or maybe you're... Native American in an urban area, maybe you're a person mid-career, but you're looking for something that can make more of a difference for your community, for your people. Public health, an amazing opportunity. Andrews has some great opportunities. We featured Liberty University recently. I mean, there's all kinds of schools of public health. Of course, uh, you're a graduate of Emory. I graduated from a school called Loma Linda University in Southern California with my public health degree. So yes, a lot of options out there, some especially attractive to Native students. One of the things I like about Andrews that you mentioned is I've heard from many people throughout Indian country, one of the real challenges can be for a, a First Nations person landing on a campus and just feeling out of place. I know you actually have a formal program for Native American students but you also have this very diverse campus so that there's no standard look to a person on the Andrews campus, right? Yes, Andrews has changed in that sense. If you looked at Andrews historically 30 years ago and today, you can feel a big positive social change where people really feel more that they belong because of the diversity, because you see people who look like you, who have same background, who went through same struggles as you. It's like you feel like you're not a stranger. And uh, Andrews made great progress in that area. Wonderful. We want to talk a little bit more about you, Dr. Cadet, because um, you're doing some interesting research that has a bearing on people throughout Indian country and beyond. Tell us a bit about your research interests, the kind of things you and, and your students are working on, because we want to tap into some of the things you've learned. Yes, one thing we've been working on uh, at Andrews uh, since I started my faculty position here a few years ago is to study the water quality in the area. A lot of the a lot of remote areas like the place where Andrews are, people use wells water. Uh, according to the EPA, they don't 
require the government to test those waters. It's up to an owner to test them on their own if they have concerns. So because of that at Andrews, we took the responsibility to do some studies on the, on the water quality in our areas to look for contaminants, not necessarily uh, infectious contaminants, but uh, chemicals, uh, environmental pollutions. So that's one research area we've had to see the impact of the water people, of the filter filtration system people use in their water in the community. Uh, besides that interest, we all, I'm also interested in different aspects of infectious diseases. Uh, one of them is the coronavirus uh, pandemic that uh, we all are dealing with. So I'm interested into different research related to that and vaccinations connected to COVID-19. So let's talk a bit about the water quality, because this is one that uh, we've featured before on the show, but we haven't done a lot with this. And it's really an important issue. I do know there's a lot of folks uh, in Indian country, of course, that are getting municipal water. There's others that are in settings where they don't even have running water. Some folks have cisterns or they're getting water from some location far from them and some places out west. I know there's challenges like that. But let's talk to those who may be dealing with a a source of well water. They're in a a rural area. Maybe even their uh, tribal community is getting water off of a well. What kind of issues, if you have an individual well, what kind of things are you finding there in southwestern Michigan that may also be relevant throughout the country? Yes, one thing we found in a study that we conducted about two years ago, a year and a half ago, uh, we had some good news and not so good news, but not nothing drastically bad. Uh, the good thing is what we found so far can be controlled with proper filtration. However, we do found in some samples high level of arsenic, which we know can have a long-term, I mean, long-term exposure can can lead to health issues. We found also high level of uh, hardness, but the hardness is more harmful to appliances than to have a health impact because it's basic is based on calcium. Uh, we do have high level of iron in our well uh, system. That can be a problem again for appliances. Um, so far, the levels we we have found. Those are the major things we have detected because uh, testing water testing is very expensive. We were not able to look at uh, the major byproduct from farming. And that's our next aspect because we know that we live uh, around a lot of farms. There are a lot of uh, insecticides, pesticides being used. We are afraid that some of them make their way into our water system. Our next project is to do more analysis to see how much contamination the water system have from uh, those uh, chemicals that are being used for farming. Well, this is a great topic. It brings me back some years to some friends we had. They wanted to get out into a healthier environment, a more rural environment, and they moved out to a place where they had their own well. And uh, like many in this uh, situation, they did not check their water levels, and they were starting to get sick from contaminants in the water. One of the things that was in the water was arsenic. So 
We want to come back to this discussion because I think it's a relevant one. A lot of our listeners likely do have well water as the source of their water, and we want to simply ask the question, you know, where is this arsenic coming from, and then what kind of uh, health hazards might it present? Dr. Kadeh, I'm assuming you're able to stay by. Is that right for our final segment? Yes. Good, good. I'm going to do the same. If you're uh, tuned in, Dr. David DeRose is your uh, host. We are going to continue with Dr. Cadet and our interview right after these important messages. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Dr. Jean Cadet is my guest. He has been speaking with us about careers in public health and about his own journey in the public health field. If you are just joining us, Dr. Cadet is the chair of the School of Population Health, Nutrition, and Wellness, and I've been alternately pronouncing his last name to make sure you know how to spell it because... Dr. Cadet uh, told us that you could actually contact him by using his email address. Jean, why don't you give us that uh, email address again, please? 
Sure, uh, pleasure. It's uh, my last name, Cadet, C-A-D, as in David, E-T, and the letter J, Cadet J, at andrews.edu, A-N-D-R-E-W-S dot E-D-U. And uh, my phone number is 269-471-3095. That's my office number, direct line. So you can contact me in one of those ways. So if you have questions about a career in public health, about Andrews University, about uh, what it's like to navigate the public health system as uh, someone who is not from the majority population, Dr. Kaday is happy to talk with you about all those things. If that phone number went by too quickly, area code 269-471-3095. Dr. Kaday, before we stepped away, we were speaking about well water, how you have been doing some research there at Andrews University, looking at wells in your area. You mentioned to us in an earlier segment that arsenic was one of the contaminants that you found, and I was sharing an experience of a family that I knew who ended up getting arsenic poisoning from well water. Why is that of concern? What does arsenic do? Yes, uh, according to the World Health Organization and uh, centers, the U.S. Centers for Disease control and prevention, long-term exposure of arsenic have been found to increase the risk for diabetes, high blood pressure, and increased risk for heart disease and lungs problem. Even lung, bladder, and skin cancer have been associated, of course, not definitive causal uh, uh, connection, but they have been associated with lung, bladder, and skin cancer according to both uh, the Centers of Disease Control and the World Health Organization. Therefore, they recommend people, if you have arsenic level in your water, well water particularly, it is best to use some form of filtration to keep the arsenic away so you don't have to be exposed long-term with it. So how does arsenic get into the water? Is it just naturally occurring in the groundwater or is it a contaminant? Yes, it is a natural contaminant in, in, in the water, in the underground water. It's just part of the underground uh, system. It's not someone who puts it. It just happened to be there in some areas where when you dig the well, your water can get a high level of arsenic because it's in the underground. Okay. That's why it's important to test your water to make sure you're not getting that level in your underground water. Great. Now, you mentioned water testing being expensive. If someone is out in a rural community, they have a well, are there a variety of different tests? I mean, sometimes people come knocking on your door saying, you know, we'll test your water. Is that what you want to do? Do you want to call public health department? Who do you recommend contacting? There are different companies that conduct a water test. I always recommend uh, my students and people in the community to first contact your local health department they can process, they can work with you to have your water tested. We test our sample from a EPA certified lab. You want to have an EPA certified lab in every area, in every region. If you ask the health department, they will refer you to a certified lab that can test your water. And they are not very expensive if it's one that is EPA certified that is under the government control, but some of the private lab can be very expensive. So 
the health department is your best first stop to find out your closest place to test your water. Great. So important message. Don't wait till you get sick. If you've got well water, get it tested. Make sure you're getting good quality water. Dr. Kaday, I know uh, we talked a little bit about this dynamic earlier in the show, and I think as we're in the home stretch here, it would be worth touching on again. And there's a lot of discussion in Indian country about things like historical trauma, the challenges of uh, being a population that's been repressed, that's been uh, disadvantaged historically. And we talk about then translating that into career success, uh, especially, you know, some of the unique things in Indian country, the whole boarding school experience where students were, in many cases, forcibly taken out of their homes, not allowed to speak indigenous language, basically taught that their Native American roots were somehow bad or inferior. Speak as an educator to us about someone who may have gone through that kind of uh, come out of that kind of background, and we're trying to really help provide an educational environment where these students can thrive. Tell us a little bit how your own experience has informed that a bit. Well, my experience a little bit um, is kind of, I, I can relate to that because I came from a community of color and also a poor community in Haiti where we were really marginalized, even until now, um, it is still a very unstable place with a lot of other issues we're not discussing now. So coming in into this country, I encountered a lot of, uh, I would say it was a challenge to be accepted in certain circle, but uh, what kept me going is what I said earlier. I There is always a way out. We can still make our voice known despite those issues and not giving up and press on. If one area closes the door for us, explore our options again and see what other things we can do. And that will keep us going because we, we cannot give up. We should not give up. Those difficulties will always happen. And uh, unfortunately, this is the reality of this world. That's why at Andrews University, we try as much as possible to make students feel at home. We create conditions for students to express themselves, to see their root, because everybody is important in this community, in what they want to become. No, I mean, it's such an important message. I think the other thing is, uh, you know, just to kind of return to this theme of public health, a lot of people think that the way you can give back to your community most effectively is to be involved in some healthcare career. Thankfully, so many Native students are going into healthcare careers, whether it's nursing or medicine or pharmacy, dentistry. Uh, still, many opportunities in Indian country in those careers. But public health is this broader perspective outlook. And Dr. Cadet, you mentioned this earlier in the program, but I've heard other physicians say something similar. They go into clinical medicine trying to make a difference, and then they realize that a lot of the problems are occurring upstream before the person ever walks into their office. So just speak a little bit more to that, helping people to say, you know, don't, if you're thinking about making a difference in your community, definitely think of public health. Can you help us connect those dots a little bit uh, more closely? Sure. Just a quick example. When I was working as a general practitioner in rural Haiti, I used to see about 20, 25 patients a day 
treating problems, uh, everyday things, uh, infectious disease, chronic diseases, every day. And I was satisfied with that. But uh, realizing over time that instead of giving someone a pill for their high cholesterol, I could have a public health officials educate that person about better nutrition, better lifestyle. And the need for medication goes down because the person just changed their lifestyle. So the, mm -hmm. that's why we have said the impact is in the long term better and bigger, but people don't know that. When someone gets uh, an infectious disease like measles and other type of infectious diseases in my community, yeah, we do supportive med medicine, supportive treatment, but when the public health official can educate the community about the importance of vaccinations to prevent those uh, child-related uh, diseases, the rate of those infections go down in the community. So those are very examples where public health can make a difference uh, in your community besides a clinical work. Tremendous. Dr. Kade, thank you so much for sharing your enthusiasm, your journey, uh, some of the doors that are open in public health, as well as opportunities at Andrews. Before we wind up, one last time, can you give us your email address if someone wants to reach out to you? Yes, my email address is uh, cadetj, cadetj at andrews.edu, cadetj at andrews.edu. And my phone number is area code 269-471-3095. Thank you so much, John. We do have to go. We appreciate your sharing with us today. Thank you. My pleasure. And thank you to each one of you for listening again to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. For all of us, as always, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. This is Life Talk Radio.